When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one's health from being polluted by the world. Please join me in prayer for our pastor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for our ability to gather here, God, in your presence. We just ask that you, you be with each, each of us this morning to open our hearts, to calm our minds, whatever is going on, going through them, whatever we're thinking about, whatever we faced this last week, God, let us rest it in your hands now as we prepare to listen to your word that you've prepared in, in our pastor this morning. May you speak through him to our hearts. God, in your name we pray. Amen. Today, I want to give you a little bit of a process of what happened to the sermon. I got back from vacation a week and a half ago, or a week ago Friday. And while I was on my vacation, I had a pretty pretty clear image and vision of what this service needed to be. And so during the middle of this week, I put that all together, sent it to our tech team to put on slides, and then I got to thinking, never good. I got to thinking, no, that's not right. That's not, it's not academic enough. It's, it's not scholarly enough. You need to rework that sermon. So I wrote about 80% of another sermon and sent a message to the tech guys, take the slides down, take them down. Now, I appreciate Norm Wright, because Norm Wright's the guy, a volunteer that puts those slides together. And I said, take them all down. And then one of the members of our church passed away. And of course, like you would expect of me, you know, I just threw myself into being with the family and, and preparing for that. 
And in the midst of that, I said, no, I'm writing the wrong sermon for Sunday. I got to go back to the original sermon. So I sent a, a, a note to, to Norm at 11.05 on, 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 Wednesday, on Sunday or Friday morning. And I said, Norm, if you're in the church, meaning up there at the deck, call me or come see me. And about two hours later, he got here and he came over and he says, uh, what do you need? I said, well, are you done? He says, pretty close to done. I said, well, about those slides that you put in and then took out. And he said, yeah. He said, I want them back in. And he says to me, are you sure? I said, I'm really sure, Norm. That's, that's what we're going to do here because I put that together because I think that's what God was, was leading me to today. And, and so today's sermon is, is really just a word of encouragement. I have a friend that is a store director up in northwest Iowa for a grocery store. And uh, a number of years ago, he told me that he had, uh, his name's Ken, and he, Ken had hired a young man. He was 21 years old. He was a special needs young man uh, who had run to the end of his schooling and the options programs and such like that. And so he hired this kid named Johnny, and he brought him into to his office, and he gave Johnny the job, told him what he did, and he said to him, now, Johnny, when people come to our store and they meet you, not only do you bag their groceries, but we want them to feel happier, and you need to give them a note of encouragement. Now, Johnny's special needs. For Johnny, life is literal. So when he heard his new boss say that he needed uh, to give them a note of encouragement, he went home that first night and he wrote 50 notes of encouragement. And he cut them up into little slips of paper and when he'd bag somebody's groceries, he'd stick that note of encouragement. Well, he realized after his first day that 50 was not nearly enough, so he, cut, he made 100 the next day. And the fourth day, he made 300. He was looking on the internet to find notes of encouragement so he could shove it in the bags. And here's what's happened in that store over the four years that Johnny's been up there working. Now when you go into that store, the, the, the line is all the way around the back end of the store. It, 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 they've had to change the line so it doesn't box up the meat counter, okay? And, 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 and they said, and, and the store manager who's a friend, former member of one of my churches, he says, it's not like every three minutes we're not saying, there's more checkouts open, more checkouts open. No one will go anywhere except to the one where Johnny's at. Because they all want their note of encouragement. Every single people will stand, they'll wait 20 deep to check out their groceries. Nobody waits 20 deep. If there's four deep, we're like, seriously, open another checkout. They've got people, their checkouts wait, come help, please, come near me, I'll check you out. But they want to hear, but people there in the store want their note of encouragement so much that they'll wait 10, 15, 20 minutes to get their note of encouragement. It got so bad for Ken that he started moving Johnny's work schedule around so that people couldn't anticipate it. He had people walk into the store and look at the checkout counter and say, is Johnny not working today? No? Okay. Bye. Seriously. This is, this is a true story. And here's the fact of the matter. Because you know it and I know it. Is there anyone among us, whether we're 22 or 52 or 82, that doesn't want a note of encouragement? We all want one, don't we? A couple of weeks ago, I got a note from Gwen Barnes. Her name used to be Gwen Barnes. She's a faculty member now in a college in Minnesota, I had in November done her mother's funeral here in our sanctuary. She's a long-term member of the church. And it was just one, a pure, it's like Gwen had taken encouragement and just dumped it onto this note. Okay, that really lit me up. I've been doing this a long time. I've done many funerals, and every end of the month, you pay me, so I figure I must be okay at it, right? But to get a note of encouragement lit me up. We all need notes of encouragement. 
We all need notes of encouragement. So, so today, this whole sermon, I, after writing 80% of another sermon, this is all I'm going to do to you today. All I'm going to endeavor to do to you and with you today is to give you an, a note of encouragement, encouragement, and this is why. There was a sage in my life when I was a young pastor. His name was Jerry Trigg. He was pastor at one of the larger churches west of the Mississippi. And we were in a meeting, and it was the young pastors there. There wasn't, wasn't anybody over 30 years old. I was probably 23, 24 Sitting in the road, kind of like Hap's age over here. I was sitting in the room waiting, of course, like we normally do, waiting for the DS to come. But into, because we were in Jerry's church, in came to the room, came Jerry Trigg, senior pastor. And he was one of those pastors when you're young, you're like bowing down to him because you're like, you want to be him. You want to be him one day. And Jerry said, fellas, it's the first of December and I've been hearing some of your conversation out in the hall. And he says, I know you guys are all fired up. You got your children's programs, you got your youth programs, you got your church dinners, you got your Christmas Eve, and you're all fired up about that. And we're all like, oh yeah, December is so hard, so much work around the church. And he says, you were wrong. He says, let me give you a parallel to church and life, and you all need to know this. He says, December in life and church has the image of a sled at the top of the hill, and it's pointed down. And it doesn't take it much to get started and going really fast. And he says, your job as a pastor your job as a person in December is just to pull your hands up and enjoy the ride. He says, because that's what life is. He says, even the most lonely among us, even the most difficult, has something in, in a community organization or in a family or something that is fun and uplifting in December. He says, but preachers, your job is not December. Because your job's January. We're like, what? He says, January the sled's at the bottom of the hill. Everybody riding on it got up and walked away. Your job's to pick up the rope, look at the hill, and start walking up it. This is a parallel to church and life. Is that how, not how our life is? A lot of things are just going straight down the hill, and we get to the bottom, and we're like, we pick up and we turn around and look at that hill and say, man, it is huge, it is long, it is difficult. And so when I, when I was preparing this sermon, and, and what brought me back to preparing this sermon is because these three things happened to me. These conversations changed my life and changed what we're going to do this week. As I've looked at that image, I had one person stand in my office, and they just said to me, it's too much, Mike. I just can't handle it. I just can't handle what life's giving me right now. It's too much. And, and I was meeting with one of our kids just across the street at Walgreens. She looked right in my eyes and said, I'm done. I just want to give up. I just want to give up. And I was talking on the phone, actually back and forth between a meeting once uh, this week, and one of our friends said to me, Mike, it's just so discouraging right now. I'm so discouraged. So I knew I had to come with this today. See, because I know spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, hundreds of us, not just a few of us, but hundreds of us in this congregation and within, in this community are staring at some huge hill or some huge hills, and we need some encouragement from the Lord. And we just absolutely need some encouragement for the Lord right, right now. So I just came by this morning to give you three notes of encouragement. They're not going to be on the screens, but you can write them down if you want to. And the first note of encouragement that the Lord has placed on my heart for you is this, and it's simple. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. 
you are doing better than you think you are. Amen? You, you are doing better than you think you are. R- write that down. I know it to be true. See, today's scripture says in James chapter 1, verse 12, God blesses those, hear that, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. This is not advice. I am not stinking Dr. Phil. This is a fact. God is blessing you even as you stand at the bottom of the hill staring at it. You're doing better than you think you are. Even as you stand staring at the bottom of the hill. Because be clear about this. Fulton Sheen, who was a TV priest years ago, wrote this. You are not tempted because you're evil. You are tempted because you're human. And I would add to that. You are not discouraged because you're evil. You are not in a a trial because you're evil. You're not burdened down because you're evil. You're all those things because you're human. You're doing better than you think you are. And we need to see our discouragements. We need to see our trials. We need to see our tests. We need to see our temptations from a higher vantage point. See, temptation, temptations are an opportunity because they challenge our sense of direction. They challenge us to give up our possibilities. I have said this for years to 15-year-olds, but it goes right for 75-year-olds too. I've stood in camps and everywhere I can think of, and I said, don't you dare let the 15-year-old version of you make decisions that affect the 25-year-old version of you in negative terms. Don't you commit suicide. Don't you give up on life now that it affects that person later in a way that you can't have the possibilities. The same thing is true. It doesn't matter if you're 75, 15, whatever. Temptations are an opportunity, and I would add to this quote because it's by someone else, discouragements, trials, whatever it is, they're an opportunity because they challenge our sense of direction. Which way will they go? They challenge us to give up on our possibilities. They challenge us to compromise or, or, and this is where we're going, they challenge us to compromise or lay our faith on the line. You see, our feelings, our discouragements, our difficulties are not evil. They are an allowance for us to cry out to God. Our tests, our temptations, the things that bother us, give us opportunity to see what we trust God with. See, God's vantage point is different than ours. Do you understand that? God sees things differently than that. And that's why I can guarantee you this. You're doing better than you think you are. You know, Keith and I kind of laugh, and we've said it before in front of you guys. Um, every sermon Keith preaches has got to have Harley Davidson in it. Every sermon I preach has got to have football in it. Here we go. This afternoon, if the schedule lays out right, I hope to have a remote control in my hand and watch some NFL football. Because I love football. All kinds. High school, college, junior high. I don't care. I love football. Football's the greatest game ever made. But as I'm watching that game today, and I don't even really, I know some teams that are playing, but I don't know. You know, they have a lot on the lines in the playoffs and stuff like this. We know that somewhere along the line, anybody that's a pro football fan knows this, that somewhere along the line, something's going to happen on the field. And the referees are going to make a judgment, they're going to make a verdict, and they're going to say, this is what happens. And the head coach of the other team is going to look at that, and he's going to say, that looks kind of wonky. I don't think I agree with that. And he's going to reach into his pocket or down into his sock, and he's going to throw a red flag on the field, and everything's going to stop. And the referees are going to get together, and they're going to have some sort of a consort. And then they're going to do what they call, they're going to send it upstairs. They're going to send it upstairs. Because, you see... There's an official at every NFL game 
that has a different vantage point than the people on the field. There is an official that can see not only from the field angle, but backwards, forwards, slow motion, and from above. He has a different set of eyes. And so from time to time, you see what will happen when that red flag goes off and we have that delay on television that causes us to see more Hewlett-Packard or whatever commercials that there are out there. When they come back from commercial, the referee will stand there and he'll say this, which for some people are the most enlightening words in in football. The referee will say, upon further review, upon further review, the ruling on the field is overturned. The ruling on the field is overturned because an offic- there's an official there in the stadium that has a vantage point that no one else has. And the verdict that's given in the midst of things is overturned. You understand? And therein lies the encouragement for me. I don't care about football. I like football. It's not about football. It's about you. Because see, down here in the, in, in the bottom of the hills that we live, down here in the valley that we stand in in the middle of January, the discouragements, the temptations, and the tests are piling up. And as we're living it, as we're right in the middle of it, it feels like we're getting beat. It feels like the verdict's against us, and it feels like we're getting down. But the truth of the matter is, you see, you're doing better than you think you are. Because our advocate, the great God of heaven and earth, has a vantage point that we do not have. He can see what we do not see. And from his vantage point, He overturns the preliminary verdict of our discouragements, our temptations, our tests. God can take what seems to be the worst for us and redeem it. And that is why Scripture calls out in Romans 8 and other places, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And that is why we must walk not by sight, but by faith. We walk not by our sight, by our faith, because he can see what we cannot see. He can transform what we cannot transform. He can control what we have no handle on in our lives. So be encouraged. Upon further review, the verdict of your life is overturned. The test is passed. The temptation is beat back. The discouragement is turned to victory. You are not what you thought. You are washed in the blood of Jesus, given new life, new hope, new opportunity. Upon further review, you are doing better than you thought you were. Amen? You're doing better than you thought you were. Now, the second note of encouragement that God put on my heart today and caused me to have a sermon ready for five years for now on James chapter 1 is this. It's a compound sentence, so if you're writing down this, listen carefully. You matter more than you think you do. You matter more than you think you do, and it's less about you than you think it is. You matter more than you think you do, and it's less about you than you think it is. See, it's a long-standing Christian discussion. Actually, it was held right here in this pulpit last Sunday morning. There's this long-standing Christian, Christian discussion of what matters more. What matters more? What I do or what I believe? What matters more? My, what I do or what I believe? Here's your pastor's answer. Listen carefully. What matters more? What I do or what I believe? Yes. The answer is yes. And let me tell you why. What you do matters. 
What I do matters. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. You got to do what it says. See, in temptation and tests and discouragement, it's important for us to throw everything that we have, including ourselves, at the difficulty. When we're looking at that big hill of life and we got that little rope of the sled of our lives and we're looking at the hill, we got to throw ourselves at it. Not worrying about whether we can make it up or not. We got to throw everything that we have at it. A sage once said to me, decisive battles with temptation are always fought within. For the most decisive battles of history, get this, the most decisive battles of history, the most decisive battles of your history are always fought on the inner battlefield. So, so you can add in there, Decisive battles against discouragement, decisive battles against tests, decisive battles against trials. And, you know, we don't know what all those are, but they're always won, always fought on the inner battlefield. They're always fought on the inner battlefield. So we have to put our whole self into the battle. We have to put our whole battle, ourself into the effort and understand that what we do matters. And, listen to this, know that your circumstances and your abilities do not need to be 100% for your faith to be 100%. You don't have to have all the tools to face the battle. You don't have to have all the, the tools to face the temptations and things that are in front of you. You don't have to be 100% for your faith to be 100%. Because life is not about your facts. Life is not about your facts. It's about your faith. It's about your faith. And that's why what we believe matters. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Now, I don't know what your hill is. You know, we got hills in our congregation right now known as mental illness. We got hills of cancer. We got hills of growth in people's situations. We got joint problems. We got spiritual problems. We got emotional. I, I don't know what it is that's in front of you that's impossible right now. I really don't. But I do know that hundreds of us have it. And, and the scripture says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And no matter what this really famous comedian likely said in the U.S. Cell Center Friday night several times, no matter how much effort, no much how, how much you put into the battle, we by ourselves cannot get her done. We cannot. Decisive battles with temptation, with trials, with struggles are never won alone. Do you understand that? Decisive battles are never won alone. Let me, let me give you an instance. Ignaz Paderowski, former prime minister of Poland, master concert pianist, had come in the 20s to do a concert in Carnegie Hall in New York City. Now, I've never been to Carnegie Hall. I know some of you have. But in that massive place, there was only one thing on the stage when Paderowski went, this giant grand piano. Giant, beautiful, magnificent grand piano. And of course, the upper crust of New York, the highly uh, influential, were all gathering there. And in the crowd, in the second row, there was a little boy whose mother and father had brought him there. He was obviously a person of privilege, seven-year-old. But parents and adults were just talking, waiting for the master to come on the stage, waiting for the program to begin. And of course, the seven-year-old boy looked at that grand piano, and he'd taken two years of piano training. So he did what most seventh grade boys, seven-year-old boys would do, regardless of what generation is. He saw that piano and said, that must be for me. So as his parents talked, 
He slipped down the aisle, walked up on the stage, unseen by anyone, sat down at the piano, and began to play the kind of a piece a seven-year-old with two years of piano experience can play. People were mortified. He was sitting at the bench of the master, playing the equivalent of chopsticks. People started to boo him. Get that kid off the stage. Who let him off there? Get him off there. Paderowski's in the back, you see. He's backstage. He's hearing all this commotion. He says, nothing should be going on before I go out. So he stepped up behind the curtain and saw the little boy out there playing. The little boy was undeterred. He continued to play. Behind him, Paderowski, the master, walked up, put his arms on the keyboard outside the little boys, and began to play. And the little boy looked up, and Paderowski said to him, don't stop playing. Don't stop playing. We're going to make a masterpiece here. You see, when I put my hands on the keyboard of life, I'm playing chopsticks. I'm playing chopsticks when I look at the efforts of my own, you know, the difficulties I'm facing, the temptations, the trials. It's just like I'm, I, I, I'm, I, I'm playing chopsticks, but you need to understand you matter more than you think you do. And it's less about you than you think it is because your effort, your contribution is absolutely necessary because you see the Lord, the master of heaven and earth, is reaching his arms around your efforts and speaking right into your life and saying, keep playing. We're going to make a masterpiece here. Keep playing. We're going to make a masterpiece here. So be encouraged. The reason God's making you a masterpiece is seen in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. So be encouraged. You matter more than you think you do. And it's less about you than you think it is. Now the third note of encouragement that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt my God has given to me to share with you is this. There's more in store for you than you think there is. There's more in store for you than you think there is. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Brian Houston. Brian Houston's the pastor of Hillsong Church, largest church in Australia, and also the largest church in the UK. But Brian Houston uh, travels all over the world, and actually in this particular story that he tells, he was still home in Australia, and his children and grandchildren were over here in the United States. And they went on FaceTime, which is kind of like Skype for, for Apple, and they were on FaceTime, but when, when, when he was talking to his grandchildren in the western United States, it was dark where they're at. But in Australia, it was light where he was at. And so they talked for a while, and finally the grandchildren says, Papa, 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 tell us why it's light where you're at. Tell us why it's light where you're at, because it's dark where where we're at. And he said, I went on to try to tell the children about the international date line and explain it all to them. But finally, I just said, listen, children, you need to understand this. Where I am, it's already tomorrow. It's already tomorrow. And so they said, Papa, Papa, tell us what happens tomorrow. Of course, then Brian becomes a pretty good grandparent like any of us would do. And he says, oh, tomorrow's magnificent, children. What I see that you do tomorrow, you're the most obedient children that have ever had parents. You're being kinder to your brother and sister than any other child has ever been kind 
to, to another person. But see, the message is simply and pretty clear, is that God can look into your today and tell you what happens in your tomorrow. You understand what I'm saying? God can see right into where you are today and see what's going to happen in your tomorrow. And in your tomorrow, you see, God is already there. And he sees you encouraged and strong in faith because there's more in store for your tomorrow than you can ever imagine. In James chapter 1, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And then it says, in the second half of the verse, afterward, afterward, you see, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to all those who love him. Please understand, my beloved, this is why. This is why you can look your today in the face. And whatever your temptations, whatever your trials, whatever your discouragement, whatever is pushing you down, you can look right at it and spit in the devil's face because you can preach it right into him because the Lord has already told you about what's going to happen tomorrow. He speaks into your tomorrow because he has the vantage point in which to see it. He can look into your day and tell you what your tomorrow is going to be. He's already worked out whatever you're discouraged about. He's already worked out whatever's testing you. He's already worked out whatever your temptation is. He's already worked out all those circumstances that make you not able to sleep at night. He's already looked them in the face that, and, and, and taken that hill that seems so large to you and flattened it out in your tomorrow. Upon further review, my friend, the verdict of your life is that you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who loved him. So be encouraged because there's more in store for you than you think there is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Hallelujah. Amen. Will the ushers come forward?